My fellow Eskimos, <laughs> welcome back. And you set your clocks ahead. Way to go. So we are so glad you are here. So in a trial in a southern small town, a prosecuting attorney called his first witness. She was a grandmotherly woman. And so as she came to the stand, the attorney approached her and he said to her, Mrs. Jones, do you know me? And she responded, why, yes, I do know you, Mr. Williams. I've known you since you were a boy, and frankly, you've been a big disappointment to me. <laughs> you lie, you cheat on your wife, and you manipulate people and talk about them behind their backs. You think you're a big shot when you haven't the brains to realize you'll never amount to anything more than a two-bit paper pusher. Yes, I know you. He was so stunned that he just pointed across the room, and he, he said, do you know the defense attorney? She again replied, why, yes, I do. I've known Mr. Bradley since he was a youngster, too. He's lazy, bigoted, and he has a drinking problem. He can't build a normal relationship with anyone, and his law practice is one of the worst in the entire state. Not to mention, he cheated on his wife with three different women. One of them was your wife. <laughs> yes, I know him. Defense attorney about died. The judge quickly interrupted them and called the counselors to approach the bench. In a very quiet voice, he said to them, if either of you idiots ask her if she knows me, I'm sending you to jail for 20 years. <laughs> so therein lies the problem with the church. And you're going to read about it this week in the book, The Essential Jesus, that we've been having you follow through with us, 100 readings, and we're in readings. Uh, readings, what are we? We are readings... 86 to 90, thank you, 86 to 90. So if you don't have a book, just stop by the media desk and we'll give you one free. Just, just ask them for one and we'll give that to you. The problem with the church is this, that God created it in such a way that we get to authentically know each other. And then as a result of that, we become authentically disappointed in each other. And it, 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 it becomes such a problem at times that we want to bail on this kind of community because of our disappointment and even the pain that it's caused. But I want to be very bold and tell you today that if you're a follower of Jesus, you really can't run from the church. Because quite frankly, Jesus himself pulls us into the church and even the messy ones. The vision that God gives St. John, which we call the resurrection, wasn't given to him as, as some kind of ecstasy to compensate for the, the, traffic, the, the tragic exile that he's feeling at the moment on the Isle of Patmos. It's given specifically to him to pass on to the churches to communicate something about the community of faith. And so he begins this way. This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. And this is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church, and he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. John's greeting then to the seven churches, this letter is from John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia. 
Now, what's interesting is when those letters get delivered, they're not going to be taken by the people in those communities. And one by one, they go into their private study, and they had this this one-on-one with Jesus. They come to Jesus moment, and then they go out and they pass it to the next person and say, go do your thing. And then they pass it on to the next person, the next person, the next person. This was never intended to be a private relationship with Jesus. In fact, I wrestle with the question that the church has been guilty of asking for decades. When we say to somebody, have you invited Jesus in to be your personal savior? Sorry, you don't get your own. He belongs to me and to everyone else in this place. This is is an individual decision, but it is not a personal savior. In fact, the scripture says that he is reconciling the entire world to himself, entire creation at this moment. We all get him, all of us, and therefore we are stuck with each other. If you continue to read from where we've just read, John then hears a voice behind him that sounds like a trumpet. He turns around and he sees seven candlesticks, and he is told that those seven candlesticks represent those seven churches, and then he has this vision of Jesus not as he had seen him before in his fleshly, his fleshly covering, but he sees him now with this new body, and his glory is revealed, and there's this amazing image of Jesus as his divinity is unfolded, and where does he find Jesus? He is standing in the midst of those candlesticks. That he finds Jesus there with his church. I have friends who, who several years ago decided that the church was too messy, that they were too disappointed, there are too many hypocrites, there's too many people who say one thing and do another, and so they decided that instead of being with those messy, sick people, they are better off to be alone in their home, and so they gather with their children and they listen to podcasts, and that's the deal they do. A few months ago, I talked to the son of the family, one of the sons, and he's in college, and I said, so how are you doing? He said, well, unlike my parents, and he said, I understand why they did what they did, but I'm telling you that I have this craving to be with community, so I'm finding a church that I can be with, even though it's messy, I'm going to hang out with it, because I think he realizes this, that although you may feel it's healthier to be alone than to hang out with sick people, actually doing that will make us sicker. I appreciate the words of Eugene Peterson who said, love cannot exist in isolation. Away from others, love bloats into pride. Grace cannot be received privately. Cut off from others, it is perverted into greed. And hope cannot develop in solitude. Separated from the community, it goes to seed in the form of fantasies. After being disappointed with, with, with church people, and let me tell you, I've been, I've been with church people all my life, and, and they have been a great disappointment to me. But unfortunately, I have been a great disappointment to them. And what we'd like to do is we'd like to forego that whole candlestick thing, the whole church thing, go immediately to the vision of Jesus, let him transform us, and then move into the wonderful expressions and revelation of the worship that is just phenomenal. And then from there, join with Jesus as he takes on the evil of the world and defeats Satan and God. That's what we want. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. If you're going to do all of that, you start with me, and where you find me is with the church, for I am in their presence. Now, the amazing thing about these churches that he mentions is that there's nothing amazing about them. These these churches are just ordinary worshipers who have been identified by their geographic location. 
There are seven cities located along the Roman postal circuit in what is now modern Turkey. And so he begins to to identify them geographically, but he doesn't leave them that way. He then now begins to identify them theologically, simply meaning this. He says, I want to tell you what's happening with God in their midst, in their messy midst. And why would God be there? Because he's doing what God always does. He started in the very beginning when the scripture says that over the world was formless and void, he hovered and then he began to breathe life. That's what he's doing in those seven churches. He's actually in these broken down places. How do we know that? Well, look who shows up to Ephesus. Him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven gold lampstands. Look who shows up to Smyrna, the first and the last who was dead and lives. Look who shows up at Pergamon, him who holds the sharp two-edged sword. Look who shows up at Thyatira, him who has eyes like flames of fire and whose feet are like bronze. Look who shows up at Sardinia, him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Look who shows up at Philadelphia, the holy and true who has the key of David and who opens and no one can shut, and who shuts and no one can open. Look who shows up at Laodicea, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. And the interesting thing about it, as each of those descriptions is part of what John saw when he saw Jesus in his entirety. And simply what was being said was Jesus himself has shown up in this messy place. To do what? He says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And what he says is simply this. He gives them an affirmation, a correction, and a promise. And as messy as we are, he does the same for us. The church moves forward by sincere affirmations. He says to Ephesus, you're untiring, you're unflagging, you do vigilant vigilant work. He says to Smyrna, I see your brave suffering. He says to Pergamum, I see your courageous witness. To Thyatira, he says, I see you growing disciples. In Philadelphia, he says, I see brave steadfastness. The church is made to be a place that we celebrate and affirm being created in the image of Jesus. And that's why Jesus says to Ephesus, these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. The church is the place where we come together, where we say, I recognize the good stuff that's happening in you. So it's it's us saying, Lucy Webster, I see your desire to pray for people, and it's been on your heart for years, and you've never stopped doing it. It it says this, to to, to Jason Hotchkiss, Jason, I see this prophetic gifting that God has given you and how you speak on his behalf, how you came from demon worship and satanic worship and to Jesus' side, and you have a sensitivity to that, and and you call forth as you see what God is doing, and, and it encourages us. It says to our friends Bert and Linda, who are going through a faith walk right now of of determining what God is doing in their business life, and they're walking by faith. And I say, look at the faith growing in them. It's us turning to each other and saying, look at what Jesus is doing in you. That's what the community of faith is about. It is us seeing Jesus in each other. You say, but the person is so messy. Yeah, but Jesus in these places that were already known for being messy says, but I'm still there. Look and find me in them. 
I'm there. One of the greatest moments in my life happened when I was in middle school. I was in, I was in the midst of just trying to find identity. Being a natural introvert, I just I, I, I couldn't take a risk. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know who would like me. I didn't, I didn't, know, I didn't know anything. And I recall it was my time for baptism, and so, so I was in this church of about 1,500, so I knew that Pastor E.E. E. Krogstead, and, and, and we call him Eek, because we are disrespectful junior hires. So we knew that Eek wouldn't know me, and, and so I go down in, into the baptismal tank, and Eek looks at me, and he says, Jack Reisner, I really feel that God wants to do something incredible with your life. Now, I'd been standing back listening. He didn't say that to anybody else. And at that moment, I had just this, this weird sense that God was speaking through him, giving value to me. In the years to come after that, through the rest of middle school and high school, I had people speak to me and say, you know, you have a music ability, and, and you should be using that. I didn't know that, really. I had people say to me, you know, you can communicate. You should publicly speak. Oh, I'm an introvert. I don't do that thing. It was through the people of the community of faith who watched my life, who affirmed me, that moved me on so that I could become a risk taker. When we see others, when we see their abilities and their personalities as something to be affirmed instead of something that is a, a competition to our value, the entire church grows stronger. And we need that because, honestly, if we would say to people, boy, if you knew me, we do, we do know you. We know you better than you think we know you. And we affirm you. Although this is a place of affirmation, I want to tell you that it is not a place of codependency. The church grows deeper by loving correction. Jesus doesn't say to us, oh, I see your mess and it's all right with me because everything's fine. It comes out in the wash. We're good. He does say to the church, I know your great deeds. And then he goes on, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. In the church, we deal with two levels of messy. The first is that if we come into the community of faith and we identify ourselves with Jesus and we come because we enjoy the security of God's love. I can just mean this love, I'm secure. And we like to live in the atmosphere of the holy, but have little interest in being holy. And what happens is the outside world looks at that community of faith and watches us when we're in that condition and says, how you are in that place is not the way that I see you out in the open. And if you're no different in the open than I am, then why do I need your Jesus? That's how all of you are in that community of faith. And it's unfortunate that that happens. The second level is this. It's the danger of looking at us and saying, 
You put your faith in Jesus, and therefore, you must exactly be like Jesus now. You must be perfect. Because it doesn't work that way. Because we all start somewhere. We all start on a journey. And for some of us, it takes us a little longer in that journey. And if you're looking for perfection, and we used to say around here that if you find a church that's perfect, don't go there because you'll ruin it. If you want perfection, start with me, and I'll tell you right now, as the leader, you're not going to find it here. In fact, one of my great fears is that God would do to me as he did to King Hezekiah, king of Israel. The scriptures say in 2 Chronicles 32, 31, but when envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, now catch this, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. God left him. When we, make the, when we say the prayer... Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We need to be thankful that he answers that. Because what he does when we do that is that that he surrounds all of that messy, ugly stuff in our lives that want to overtake us and keeps them in check, while at the same time he's digging deep down inside of us to uproot that stuff that's causing us trouble and pain and anger. For me, the fear of God is this. The fear of God is that he would do what he did to Hezekiah, which is leave him and allow all that stuff in me to come flying out and take control. Because to be honest with you, I'm a very ugly person inside. Every once in a while, my wife Pam will say to me, who are you? And what is wrong with you? And I'll say, I know. She said, you're just, you're just, you're just being ugly. I said, I know I'm turning, ah. A monster. So what I have to do is I have to push back into Jesus and say, don't, don't, I don't want to leave you and don't you leave me because that stuff will overtake me. And I don't want to be that way. That's why he said to them, you need to, you need to go back to your first love. You see, you, you, I know your deeds, you're doing all the stuff, but the problem is that the thing that keeps life in check, your relationship with Jesus, you've got to get back to that because that's the thing that holds you in check and heals you from the inside out. In fact, I want to tell you that the worst sins, to be honest with you, are not even possible to persons who do not live a life of faith. The worst sins are then when we begin to exercise forms of religious activity, but the spirit is gone and we don't even know it. It's that whole Saul complex where Saul thought he still had the spirit of God and it said he didn't even know it was gone. It's, it's when we begin to continue, we continue to, to, to do religious things and, and come to church and, and gather in community of faith and say the words, but inside there is just nothing there. And what's brewing is not good. It's why I could, I could talk with my friend Rich, and you don't know Rich, this happened years ago and not in this location, and Rich told me how he could still preach and do his, 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 his pastoral duties and still get the same results at the same time having an affair with a girl in the youth group. And the Spirit of God had already deserted him. So if you think this church is rotten. Understand that, that the churches he's writing to weren't even a half century old and they were already degenerating. So God moves in and says, I want to correct you so that you learn how to love me and love each other with your whole heart because I'm not going to let you destroy yourself. 
If you think the church in America is rotten, I'm going to tell you right now, go to any century and slice the church open and it'll all look the same. But the good news is this, that he who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it. And he's making us better. And as he completes it, what keeps us moving is this. Jesus makes a promise. And it's a great promise. In fact, talking to the churches, he, he identifies a promise this way. He calls it a tree of life and a crown of life and a white stone and a morning star and, a, and white garments and a pillar in the temple and eating and ruling with Christ. All those images represent one thing, that we get to hang out with our creator and our rescuer forever. It's what we are created to do. The church keeps going through motivating promises. So here's the deal. As we meet together as community of faith, this is, where the, this is the place where we keep saying to each other, keep going because we all get Jesus at the end of this thing. You say, but, but look at the mess. I know. It is a mess. We are. Because if we're all really authentic and honest, we've come here with messes. And you take messes and put them with messes, what do you get? You get messes. And we are messy people, except for my wife. <laughs> Look, the churches of Revelation are not model homes where everything is in order and picture perfect. Aren't you glad that when somebody, somebody shows up on, 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 spontaneously in the spur of the moment and you have to run to the house and get it ready, they don't check under the beds or in the closets? Because that's where you put all the messy things that you're still working on, but they're still there. Eugene Peterson says, For as long as Jesus insists on calling sinners and not the righteous to repentance, and there is no indication as yet that he has changed his policy in that regard, churches are going to be an embarrassment to the fastidious and an affront to the upright. It's true. But the church is God's instrument for calling his followers together to realize who is our Lord and who we are in him and then how to live life with those identities. So quite frankly, if we're having trouble with how messy the church is, maybe we need to change our expectation rather than change the church. Because it's always been this way, that we are a community created by the descent of the Holy Spirit and through which we submit ourselves to the Spirit's affirmation, His reformation, and His motivation. Because really, we are just lampstands standing in the midst of our King. So He gives us this promise, to Him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. Oh, if you have an ear, Hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So how do we respond? How do we respond to this revelation of what he expects of the church? Number one, tie into a community of faith. Quit hiding out or moving around. Tie in. You say, but I go and I get so disappointed. Oh, you're going to have to change your expectation. And you, you should know that if you're married. They're not as perfect as you think. And, and, and there's these stages you go through marriage. The first, you know, it's a honeymoon stage. Everything's fine. And churches are like that. You walk in, oh, it's so good. The music's so great. The pastor's so great. The people are so great. And, and later you go, oh, I can't believe I even tried to marry that place. 
But you come to the place that you have to make a decision that you can't change them. God changes people. But you got to tie into family. Ever been disappointed in your kids? Ever, ever been disappointed in your parents? And, and I just, do you say, okay, mom and dad, the neighbors next door have a better TV. I'm going over there. And they, they make really good Italian food. Mom, you just really, you're bad at that. You don't do that. You tie into family. You learn to, to love. You learn what it is to move together. So tie in the community of faith. Secondly, purposely begin to affirm each other. Could we do this for the next month? Could you just be really aware of the people around you? Not just community of faith, but people around you. And just say, I just want to tell you how much I appreciate. I'm really grateful for how you are this way. Just, I'm just thankful to God for that. I, I love the words of the, the former Attorney General of, of, uh, of the United States, John Ashcroft, who said, his father never said, I'm proud of you. What his father said is, I am so grateful to God for you, for these things he's put in your life. I'm so grateful. Can we just tell people, I see this in you, and I'm just really, I'm really good at that? Because I'm going to tell you that most every one of us get enough negative communication about our lives throughout, throughout the week. And some of you don't even need anybody to do that for you. You're good at just doing it to yourself. And what a difference it would make if we just say, you know, I just want to tell you that the way you did that, I love that. The way you are with that person, I love that. Because it lets us see what Jesus is building in us. Could we do that? Could, could, could we change the name of the church for a month to the Church of Affirmation? Wouldn't that be wonderful? I bet the place would be packed if people could know they come and get honest affirmation. We're not talking about, about making up stuff. But the reality of what you see in a person. And then would you join me? And you say, this is a tough one. Invite Jesus to correct us. Because he's going to do it anyhow. So wouldn't it be better if you invited him and he did it gracefully? Instead of the two-by-four method? And then if we feel like giving up, would you grab a Christ follower or a couple of them and just say to them, tell me why I should keep going. Do not isolate yourself. And let's walk each other through the really tough times. So you may ask, do you know me? God does. And we want to. Here's a few reasons why people don't go to church. I can't come to church until I get my life together. Church is how I got my life together. Church is filled with a bunch of hypocrites. And there's always room for one more. All they care about is your money. They care about me, not about my money. some kind of dress code? Yes, the code is wear some clothes. Church, it just makes me nervous. I was nervous at first, and then I felt right at home. I'm not sure I believe everything that you believe. But you can still belong. 
church is for wimpy girly men. You want to say that again? If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't want me. If you knew me and what I've done, you wouldn't be worried. You can come to my church even if you were brought up Catholic, Baptist, Methodist, Jewish, Mormon, Lutheran, Pentecostal, Presbyterian, Church of Christ, Southern Baptist, a little bit of everything and a whole lot of nothing. See, it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. So please, come to my church. Where nobody's perfect. Where beginners are welcome. Where socks are optional. But grace is required. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And where it's okay to not be okay. Really. So will you stand, please? Welcome to the community of faith, where it's okay to ask, do you know me? Because if we do, we'll affirm you. We'll even walk you through correction, but we'll walk together, because there's a great promise at the end of this thing. So now, I'd like to pray a blessing over you, and if you'd like to just take a posture of receiving, you can do that. So, this week, may you have a deepening understanding of your value to God. May you be left in awe of his love that you cannot exhaust. His grace that gives you ability beyond anything you thought you could do. His mercy that is brand new every day for you so that you do not need to live in your guilt or your pain. May you find a community of faith that brings you joy, that provides you strength, that takes you in the condition you are in and loves you just the same. And may you do the same for others. May the love and the peace and the joy and the grace that God pours in you flow out to those around you that you may help transform their lives and they may find the reason for their creation. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Have a great week.